the whole time I read this chapter, and if you, I guess if you're a, a note taker, if you got your Bible, go ahead and mark Chronicles 33 as well. That's the parallel chapter today that we'll be diving into also. But that word is influence. So before we even dive into some verse by verse and checking stuff out, I want you to think for you today, one, two things. One, who made an influence on you? Over the course of your life, young, old, different stages, back in school, out of school, married, not married, parenting, not parenting, traveling, not traveling, you know, wherever those courses of life have taken you, who's made the greatest influences on you? And I guess more than two questions, because now that I think about it that way, then you got to ask this, was it a good influence or was it a bad influence? I can tell by some of your faces, you know what I mean. Some people we hang out with will influence us for the good. They will better equip us. They will push us. They will encourage us. They will, they will uplift us. But there's a certain group of friends that we may hang out with, whether we want to admit it or not. And when we come home and the wife asks questions, we can say, well, you know, I was with so-and-so. And they instantly know, well, then you had a bad influence. It doesn't mean it wasn't your fault, by the way. It doesn't mean you're off. It doesn't mean you get away with anything. It just means you allowed somebody to influence you one way or the other. So that's the first thing you ought to be thinking of with the word influence. Second one is this. Who are you influencing? Because at every part in our life, according to Scripture, what it says, especially when Timothy and Titus both write to, to early believers and new believers and Paul's writing to them, they may get a point to say this thing about, There are those older than you. There are those younger than you. There are those wiser than you. There are those less wise, you know, and and it goes through. There are those that have more life experience and those that have less life experience. So therefore, you're at two stages all the time. You're always being influenced. But they make it a point in Scripture to make sure we understand we are always influencing. So who is it that you're influencing? And then, of course, just like the first question, once you realize who you're influencing, now you've got to ask, am I influencing them for the better? Or am I that friend they go home and their wife says, oh, yeah, about which way is it? Think about it. The good news is don't look around the room. The good news is <laughs> the good news is if you're not happy with what you're just thinking about, you can change it. Right. You're breathing. You got a pulse. Right. So therefore, you have the opportunity to change it. God may have appointed today just for that sheer motivation of you changing something in your life or changing who you're influenced by in your life. Right? Some of you are thinking, what if you're stuck with them? What are you, what if you live with them? Well, then you hit them over the head with a frying pan and you figure this thing out. Right? No, you grow together. You move together. You you, you motivate one another, right? And in, in, in different aspects of life all the way across the board. So, so that's really important. Um, I say that because here's where we're at. This is this is probably my least favorite transition part of the book of Kings, because we go from Hezekiah to Manasseh. Now, I love Manasseh's ending, to be honest. A lot of people don't even know it. If you've only read Kings, you're like, I thought he sucked. He did suck. He was an idiot. But he's got a really cool ending also. All right. But but why I hate it is this. We go from Hezekiah, who was known as the man who trusted God more than anybody else before or after him. And then you've got his son, Manasseh, who Crystal just read was more evil than any other king. And you got to wonder what in the world happened? Like, how did he have the greatest dad? But yet he turned out to be so evil. 
So, so it, and, and you get the same thing with Hezekiah, if you remember from three or four weeks ago, whenever we first did Hezekiah. Hezekiah's dad was horrible. Hezekiah turned out to be awesome. So I think in this, this little, little area of scripture, what it's telling us is your beginning or who, who, who you've been influenced by doesn't have to determine or doesn't guarantee to determine how you're going to turn out. So you need to have your, your you know, you need to be ready both ways. Just because you had a good spiritual family don't mean you get to coast on in, you know, to the, to the kingdom. But on the flip side, just because you had a horrible family also doesn't mean that you're not and you're excluded from the kingdom. So, so we ended last week with Hezekiah and we were reviewing his life, how he needed an extra 15 years because he didn't want to, he didn't want to go. You know, and, and we talked about Wednesday night just a little bit with the guys. We're like, man, why would you not want to go? You know, we need to understand, like, just their, their spiritual understanding and their theology wasn't quite what we have today with, with the, the whole thing. I don't think he really understood at that stage that, you know, heaven was an eternal kind of thing and he was going to, to live again. And he obviously didn't understand that we're going to praise God in heaven because what did he tell him? He goes, God, if, if I don't praise you, who's going to? And he, appe- he appealed, appeased and appealed uh, to, to, to some of God's like greatest desire, which is worship. And he gets this extra 15 years. And in that extra 15 years, evidently, since this guy's 12, he has a son. So I played a little bit of devil's advocate at the beginning of this week. And, you know, luckily my wife is so much wiser than me. I said, man, like, you know, maybe and I played it both ways. I said, maybe God knew Manasseh was going to be this idiot. So he was going to take Hezekiah out before he even had the idiot. <laughs> right. That's a weird way to think about. I'm just being honest with my thoughts and where they went this week, right? So, so then you got to play in your head. You're like, why would God do it if this guy was going to be so? I mean, it said that he shed so much blood it covered Jerusalem from one end to or Judah from one end to the other. I mean, this guy was evil. We're gonna read his list in a minute. Like he killed his own kids. I mean, he was evil. He brought back all kind of horrible practices. He built a temple for a prostitute god. In God's house. Could you imagine if you came in this morning and we had like a little temple to Satan in the house of God? That's basically what he did. But now do we understand like a, a clearer picture of how evil this guy was? Right? So you got all that going on. And then my wife says this. What if somebody else is going to be more evil? You know, we look at what we get to see, but we don't know the unseen. And it made me think. And I was like, wow. Like, that's true. It could have been. Well, it really could have been worse after I tell you the ending of Manasseh's life. You know, and maybe that was God's whole thing, by the way. Maybe So keep that in mind as we get to the end. Maybe God's whole thing was just to have this big lesson that comes up at the end of Manasseh's life. And it just took the people 55 years to finally be able to grab a hold of it, right? So here's what it says. Verse 1. We just said he was 12. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. That, that means he, he came about in Hezekiah's last 15 years, most likely. Now, yes, I know there's theories on co-reigning and all that kind of stuff. I don't necessarily buy it with this story because of age groups and timing and all that, but that's neither here nor there. It doesn't matter. All right? 55 years, first note I put, 55 years is a long time with a bad leader. Is it not? Now, you know, we live in America, so like if we don't like a president for four years, we can most likely get rid of him. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Thankfully. The, the worst is eight years. <laughs> Just being honest, brother. You gotta be honest in church. Not lightning bolts to get you, right? So, but the worst is eight years. Which I understand. Eight years with a bad leader, that is a long time. But it doesn't compare to 55 years. 
with a bad leader. Now, you want to know why scripture talks so much about the, the chain of order or chain of command, however you want to word it and all that kind of stuff, and then give so much application to how we're supposed to pick not only our nation's leaders, but our home's leaders, our spiritual leaders, our spouses, the leaders of our children, how, our, how and who our children are taught under. Because if you get them under the wrong person, 55 years of influence in the wrong direction is dangerous. Some of you right now, let's just be honest, some of us right now in this room are the way we are because we've been under the influence of the wrong leader. And I ain't just talking about no president. I'm talking about in our own homes. Right? Some of our kids are not going the way we wanted them to go because we've been allowing them to be influenced in the wrong direction. Probably not for 55 years unless you're as old as some people in the room that have kids that old. But keep this in mind. So right after this, so here, here's what really caught me. Because I'm big after like that, that, that thing of daddy setting that example and daddy teaching. But here's the reality of it, guys. We can look at that all we want. Daddy's dead. You know what I'm saying? Like Manasseh, he's 12 and daddy ain't no more. Now, that brings up something for the new church, by the way, because we got a lot of unpresent men and unpresent daddies in the lives of children. Whether it's because they're dead or whether it's because they just suck or whether it's because they're just not there. So somebody's got to step up to the plate and lead these men and women, young ladies and young, young guys, the right way. Because if nobody does, they turn out to be a Manasseh. And they'll be a pain in your Manasseh for the rest of your life. You know what I'm saying? So look at even deeper, though, because because here's what caught my attention. As I'm reading this thing, it says the very next line that this only happens a few times in Scripture, mostly because of the, the history of like writers and stuff. The, the, the women in the bloodline of the, of, the, of the lady wasn't necessarily as important unless it had meaning in Scripture. So it was either, you know, showing the symbolism, showing some kind of overcoming, showing the, the bloodline staying or was it showing the negative? Because here's what it says. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. In the same verse, for no apparent reason, to the normal reader, it says his mother's name. Now, let's just be up front, guys. If daddy's dead and you a king at 12, mama's got a great influence on you. Am I right? It would be safe to say that as a 12-year-old sitting on the throne, he probably made little to no decisions on his own in the beginning without talking to mama. So now you got a couple other spiritual lessons. If you were mama, I, I love, by the way, I, I don't know if y'all notice it. I, I notice it because like I'm at the, the age where I feel like my mama should start loving me a little different. Like not so much of that, that, that mama, mama stuff. That was Mark in Chronicles 33. Y'all know me where we at. Right. So, so yeah, but, 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 I, but I love a mama who's got a son in the military. So he's a man. You know what I'm saying? Like, like he's a man. He, he's fighting for this country. I don't even know how old he is, and it don't matter because evidently he's old enough to, to fight for this country, support this country, whatnot. But mama still what? I can't wait to get my arms on him. I guarantee you that ain't what he's thinking about. I can really guarantee it since he came home to propose. <laughs> but it really ain't what he was thinking about. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like he's transitioning this way, but mama still. Church, hear me. We need some mamas like that. You know what I'm saying? 
Like we need some mamas that are still cold and text you and tell you, hey, this is what you need to be doing with my grandbabies. He better not have no grandbabies yet. You know what I'm saying? But somebody's mama in the room will call and text them about how to raise the grandbabies and take care of them. You know what I'm saying? We need some mamas like that. Because if we don't, church, understand, there's some mamas that lead children the other way. I, I can't help but think of if we look at Manasseh as the most evil king, his mama. I can't even say her name. Hefziba. Yeah, look at that. I got a curse from Mitch on the Hebrew word. What? <laughs> How evil must she have been? How dirty must she have been? How corrupt must she have been? Think about what she does. She's not worried about no grandbabies. She promotes him bringing back a God. You guys don't, well, you will never forget it, right? A God who has arms that they cook till they begin to turn red and see through and then they put a life on it. And it says his sons, plural, went through that. Something so evil that they knew it was evil, so they had priests beat on the drums to cover up the noise of the screams. Was there no men and women in this time frame that thought, my God, maybe we should do something a little different? After all, their own grandmama was probably promoting the decision making. This is how evil this time is, guys. This is crazy. Another thing I notice, you know, for, for it to be to be her influence. Notice one of the first gods he builds an Asher pole and, and builds that little thing in the temple for. Do you know who she was? Notice it was a she, by the way. So it's a goddess. I'm thinking if it's a man, he's going to build him a uh, temple to a god. Right. So it's a man. Right. But it's, it's, it's a woman. It's a goddess. Goddess of what? Prostitution and fertility. Now, how you go? Let's just be let's just be upfront and honest as we got a, a week where the kids are away. Right. We, we don't really fully understand a lot of this because we never study it. But when you get into Corinthians, you get a lot of wording. And if you study it and check it out, you're like, what is Paul talking about? Why is he going there? Because they went there. They would literally have sex with prostitutes in the worship places. Oh, now we're like, oh, now I see how evil and corrupt it is. Now, I, I'm just being upfront and honest, guys, right? We look at it evil, like corrupt, crazy, nasty, right? You got an unbeliever. Who doesn't know the practices of sexual morality and other stuff, right? How are you going to appease to him of, hey, put on a bunch of clothes and come worship and sing Kumbaya with us? Or, hey, look at the girl who's naked and have sex with her. Do you understand why Paul is so strict in the church of Corinth on this battle? Because I'm going to be honest with you, at 17 and 18, that's a heck of a battle to have to have on the inside of your head as a man. And maybe some women too, I don't know, I can't relate with you, right? But do you see now how important and why this stuff is so like drastic and crazy? And he's building this Asher pole to this goddess of fertility and he's putting it in the house of God. Man, I got off track because of where we were, but, but, but here's what you need to understand. He's got a 55 year reign. That's a, that's the longest reign of any king in Judah, by the way. A lot of years of influence. Yet he didn't use them all for good. His family history, when you go to Matthew chapter 1, he's in the lineage of Joseph, Jesus' earthly father. This guy, he's got good genes, man, right? His father is Hezekiah, the greatest king who ever trusted God before or after, right? His mother, 
as crazy as she was, you want to know who, this is history, so let me step aside, right, because this ain't sure. You want to know who they believe she was? Kind of blew my mind saying this. They believe she may have been Isaiah's daughter. By the way, later on when it talks about him killing prophets, there's also a belief from, from Hebrews, if you, if you take it, the great, the great prophet, there's also a belief that this guy is who killed Isaiah. So he like killed his granddaddy-in-law or something like that, right? There's, there, I mean, there's, there's craziness going on, right? He would have been trained in the ways of Judaism from birth. I'm pointing all this out to show you right now. Like this kid, he couldn't miss. He's got the genes. He's got the money. He's got the lineage. He's got everything. You ever known anybody like that? You ever have this thought about somebody like that? They were born for greatness. You remember the first time you looked down at one of your own children? And you had that thought, they're born for greatness. Because nobody looks at their kid and like, ah, they're born to suck. Right? No. All, all the, the visions and the plans and, and all that stuff, right? The only thing that could keep Paxton from crying at night when, when, because he liked to whine, boy. And mama would finally get tired. So I said, mama, you go lay down and, and go to bed. And I would watch NFL all night long with him. Thank God he was born in September, the beginning of the season, right? But he, he would, he, he would quiet right down on daddy's chest as long as an NFL game was on. So of course in daddy's head, my boy's going for greatness. Now he's like 120 pounds soaking wet and only five foot. So we don't know if greatness is coming through that or not. But he's going to be great at whatever he chooses to do, right? He's born for greatness. Yet, all that stuff didn't mean nothing for what he had to be. Do you understand that? I want to make sure we understand. Because some of us get in this mindset of, oh, my mama goes to the church. My granny went to him. My granny been going to that church. Her granny went to. And now I'm going to that church. And you think your family line secures you. It doesn't. This guy had it all. He <laughs> said he lost everything. Literally in a minute, right? He rejects. Here's what he really does. So the first thing is he rejects the name of God and he rejects the presence of God. If you remember where he builds that pole, God in the book of Deuteronomy had made this promise. I will put my name there. My presence will be there. And here's the greatest thing. When we reject the name and the presence of God, what we also are saying to God, whether we want to say it out loud or not, is we reject the promises of God. And you notice how some of those promises change, right? It appeared on the surface that Manasseh was a, Manasseh was a waste of instruction, a waste of authority. It, it literally spits in the face of God, guys. That's, in essence, what he's doing. His sins, it says, were, were, were worse than the nations that God had already driven out. You imagine, like, God already being mad at one group of people and talking trash about them for, for hundreds of years, and then you come along and he says, you're worse than they were. I've been talking bad about them for hundreds of years and you're worse than they were. Right? And what blows my mind here in Crystal Rita just now made it even, even, even like more real, I guess you could say, is, is as he's going through all this stuff, verses three through eight, well, three through nine and then verse 16 as well, which we're going to, we're going to list out the, the specific sins of Manasseh. While he's going through all that stuff, I couldn't help but think of this right here. Like he's looking everywhere for guidance, but the right place. You ever been in that stage in your life? You're looking everywhere for some kind of guidance because you know whatever's going on. You don't like what's going on. So you just start looking. Maybe you look to a friend on Facebook. Maybe you look to a friend that you ain't seen in a while. Maybe it's a close friend. Maybe it's a family member who went through something similar. Maybe it's the bar. Maybe it's the guy on the corner. Maybe it's in the bedroom with somebody who's not supposed to. You look for guidance in all the wrong places except for the right one. And that's where Manasseh's at when it lists this stuff, right? I mean, look, look at what it says. Right after it lists that he was worse than the nations the Lord had already you know, cast out, 
Which, by the way, the first time I read that, I wrote, like, if God brought judgment on them, why do they not think judgment's coming for them for doing the same stuff, right? It should be expected, right? But but, but it goes on here, and how evil and wicked. Look, look at 3 through 9, and then I'm going to skip down to 16 just because it lists it separate, right? He rebuilt the high places. His dad worked so hard to get rid of that stuff. Now he's rebuilding it, right? He's destroying in this, uh, oh, I'm sorry, the dad destroyed. Uh, he made the Asherpole law. Uh, he brought the worship for the sky and, and, and astrology and all back in. He, he built altars in the Lord's temple, but they weren't for the Lord. Which is where the Lord said he's going to put his name in it. And he puts this, this other temple there. And he sacrificed his son on the fire. He practiced witchcraft. He consulted mediums and spirits. He did a huge amount of evil in the Lord's sight. And because of this, it angered him. He set up carved images. I mean, look how much deeper this thing gets. And then, then when you skip down to verse 16, it says, Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem with it from one end to the other. And if that wasn't enough, we get the other part of influence. This was in addition. So it's like God saying, all this was just, just all this was just added to what really ticked me off. You, you understand like that? Like this is in addition. So you got to be wondering, all right, God, what really ticked you off then if all this is just an addition? What really ticked me off, this was an addition to the sin that he caused Judah to commit so that they too did what was evil in the Lord's sight. So what was God really mad about to begin with? His negative influence on the nation. Remember the writer of Kings, he's excited about Hezekiah and he writes so much about him because Hezekiah did something with the high places that nobody else was willing to do it with. And then his son comes in and reverses all of it. And God lists all, I don't know if you catch it, man. He lists all these other sins and I'm reading them and I'm like, man, like he's murdering innocent people. He's murdering his own son. He's building poles. He's carving images. He's practicing witchcraft and idolatry. And he's going to the tarot card reading. And he's um, mediums and spiritists. And, and he's calling the 1-800 numbers. And I mean, he's doing everything wrong he can do. And God says, all that's just an addition to what really ticked me off about him. And what really ticked me off about him is I had this whole nation beginning to go in the right direction. And he sucked them back into the wrong direction. Wow. Guys, when you look over this list, it's got to make you think, right? And, and maybe this whole section is just for this. If any of us have ever thought that our sin only hurts us, we are gravely mistaken. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's got consequences that influence others. And the very first one, I guess I should say, I don't know what point we're on. We're going to call it point one for today, right? Point one, he influenced the worship of the people. He influenced the worship. Look, look, what, he, look what he said up in verse three. He made this Asher pole. And, and then in seven through nine, he places that in the temple. The, the actual translation of verse 9 when it says that, that they did evil because uh, Manasseh had encouraged them. I don't know what your translations have. It should say because Manasseh seduced them. That, that, that's, how, that's how real and, and, and deep this thing is getting with him. So he's really comparing Manasseh and his seduction of pulling them back into sin to Satan in the garden. Right? What, what did Satan do? He made things look good. And because it looked good, he enticed them. It made them want to... To participate in it. Uh, Manasseh made worshiping Asher look like a good time. And again, not to be too blunt, but think about it, guys. For a new believer, especially a younger guy or younger girl, it ain't going to take much convincing that, hey, fun, fun, fun versus a spiritual walk with the Lord. I mean, that's a battle, right? 
Just being honest with it, right? That's where they're at. He made witchcraft and spiritus and deviation look like fun. He influenced the people into sin. So now you got to ask, because the whole time we've been talking about not only who influenced us, but who we influence it. What kind of influence are you making on people leaving them to sin? What kind of stumbling block are you being for people? Right? Maybe it's the way you dress. Maybe it's the way you talk. Maybe it's the way you act. Maybe it's where you go. You know what I'm saying? Maybe it's stories you tell or jokes you tell. What What are we doing? Conceivable. Well, you can say it this way. Sin splatters. If, if I was to try to throw a, a pie over a cliff and I could hit him square in the face, I guarantee some of that splatter is going to hit Doreen and, and, and maybe all the way back to Carla. Definitely Brian and Lori's getting some. Possibly I can get it over there to Mike's head. Uh, most likely going to get a little bit on Rachel. You know, sin splatters. So I don't know why we're so surprised sometimes that when we're the one doing this one thing that, that it trickles and has effects on, on others. If you're a parent, you see it most with your, your home. Maybe it's directly with your spouse. You feed off one another and good or bad. Or maybe it's with your kids. I, I, I'll never forget one time after watching Paxson like lose it. He's a little competitive. Like, like probably that much. That's all. I think he gets it from his mom. Right? But I'll never forget, like, after watching his reaction, losing losing a game and whatnot, and I was flipping out. I was like, what in the world? Why is he acting that way? Like, what is going on? And then I looked in the mirror. I said, oh, maybe we should start training a little different. You know what I'm saying? Not that you shouldn't be competitive, but just how you handle stuff. Right. So don't be surprised sometime when you when your kids aren't very loving because you are not very loving. When they're greedy because you're greedy, when they don't like to spend time with Lord because you don't like to spend time with the Lord. When they have anger issues and throw stuff against the wall because they watch you have anger issues and throw stuff against the wall. Your kids are mimicking what you do, I promise. And if you ain't got no kids and you're thinking that that gives you like this getaway card or whatever, the world is watching. What you do, your friends, who you date, your spouses and spouse. You should never have one on one spouse, right? Like uh, spouses in plural talking to the group, right? But but think about that. Do you ever notice that? Like like if you if you can break the bad mold and, and start being like super loving and kind and sweet and then they start being that way. You're like, man, I don't know why you're not always this way. The whole time they've been thinking, well, if you treated me like this all the time, I would always be like this. Right. And then it just goes on. So, so what if we just fed each other so much positive, like we were trying to outdo the other one? Right. But like it becomes a game. And yeah, I'm a little competitive, so I'm going to win that game. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, what if that man, we would solve a lot of our issues. But he seduced them in a negative way and encouraged them in a negative way. And I think far too often, if we're honest, we're probably encouraging people in the wrong way as well. Right. And, and hear this. There's no way for you to simply participate in sin and it not affect the lives of others around you. There's no way. Even in private sin, when you think it's like some secret thing, right? And what a shame it is for this guy, Manasseh. Listen to this. You talk about why God was so mad about this. In the New Testament, he says this. Talking about, talking about being a bad influencer, right? Matthew chapter 18. You want to know why all those other sins were in addition to this. Here's what he says. But whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to stumble. What's he saying? Get the picture. I want to make sure you got it, right? Whoever makes one of these young believers stumble. 
It would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned into the depths of the sea. Well, God, that's not very loving and kind talking. But it's honest. Do you hear what God is saying? God is saying, if you call somebody in this church who's an early believer, and I think really any believer, but I'll go exactly what he said, an early believer, young believer, new believer, you can think he's a kid or whatever, doesn't matter to me. But if you cause one of them to stumble, it'd have been better for you to have a rope tied around your neck, to have a giant stone attached to the other end of the rope, and somebody to throw you into the sea. That sounds pretty... Pretty harsh and rough, does it not? I think God's wanting to make some adults cry. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think God's playing games with it. I think he's saying, like, this is, this is, this is, this is what infuriates me. I, I do something in pre-marriage counseling. And, and if you've never done it, I advise you to do it too. You determine your button pushers. And what that means is, is you know what can, well, I know what I can do to push Crystal's button. Not in the right way, by the way, the wrong button. Okay, not that good button, right? And she knows what she can do to push my buttons, right? And we talk about those and we spend some time like making sure that's all of them. I'll ask the other spouse, hey, is there anything else they do that may push a button that that they haven't listed that they don't know about yet? And every now and then one will, you know, I'm always amazed that everybody knows the button pushers, right? But every now and then there'll be one that doesn't know and they'll be like, oh, you know, she can do or he can do this. And that really gets under my nerves and makes me tick, right? And then I look at it and I'm like, you know why we know what these are? You know why we call them, or we color them red? You know why they're red? So that you can stay the heck away from them. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't know the button pusher so that you can do it. You know the button so you can stay far away from the button. Right? You can write this down for your little notes. God's greatest button pusher is for you to negatively influence and cause others to stumble in their walk in the kingdom. And he says so, and he proves it by saying, if you do it, it'd been better for me to just throw you in the sea with a rock tied around your neck. Then he goes on, woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. This just doesn't sound like one of Jesus' happy speeches. Right? Woe to the entire world because it's full of stumbling blocks for my believers. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks are going to come, but woe to the man that through who the stumbling block comes. He takes it to a whole nother level, man. God is all about influence and negative influence. He ain't going to put up with it. Manasseh didn't just fall into sin. He led a whole nation into sin. And, and understand this, when you fall, you better figure out who you're leading behind you. Because unfortunately, it's like being on a cliff. And a lot of times we got we got little rope tied to everybody because we was all hiking together and on this trip and excited. And when one fell, there was a whole line of them falling behind. Right. That's the picture he's painting. And he's saying, it, oh, it's so bad for him. And, and then the warning that comes up in these verses back back to second Kings. But they paid no attention. This is talking about the people, guys, the common folk, as it calls them at the very end. Right. But they paid no attention and Manasseh seduced them to do this, this evil. What the writer is saying is this is the basic attitude of the people of Judah. And 55 years, they paid no attention to the generous promises of God. 
Promising of protection. Promising uh, if they would be obedient that he would bless them and, and all this stuff. They were willingly seduced by Manasseh because they were attracted to evil. That's what God is saying. What, what, what I'm reading is God's even opened the anthem now. Like he's mad at Manasseh as the leader. But now he's thinking, but nobody in the kingdom could have done something. We, we were talking last night about some rules that have changed in German army, German army, and, and, and then in, in our, in our own army. And we were talking about like now you have it where like you don't blindly follow orders anymore like it used to be. Like now it's you need to check it with your morality. And it came from the Holocaust and the Nazis and everything. So just so you know where the, the idea come from. And, and somebody who served in the, in the military or serving, served in the military now, they said the, the same thing. They were like, oh, no, we got that rule, too. Like they, they go over that and tell us, make sure like you check. And this isn't going to be something like, you know, that goes against a, a moral issue or, or whatnot when making this. And God is saying the same thing about this nation of Judah. He's saying, guys, it was bad enough that he became this horrible leader. It was bad enough that his mama was mm, something else. But you mean to tell me none of you in 55 years thought, hey, we should stop this? Right? Don't, don't let what the country does and the government decides be an excuse for you guys to get to get away and do whatever you want to do because God's going to hold you accountable. He's transitioning now from the leader to the people. And he's saying the people have really made me mad because I can't believe none of them. After all that spiritual revival Hezekiah had put inside of them, none of them would do this. Maybe he's even saying the greater sin is accepting this seduction willingly. In Second Chronicles 33, verse 10, it said, And Yahweh spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they did not listen. I love it. God makes a point to say, look, I was trying to talk to the leader and he wouldn't get it. So, so then I tried to talk to the people and, and none of you would listen. You can say it this way. When one is not listening to scripture, they become easily seduced. You will stumble and you will fall more in your life than ever on those time periods of your life where you're not bathed in scripture. Listening to scripture, surrounding yourself with scripture, right? It's who you surround yourself to be influenced by. I mean, and you noticed how when I said it a minute ago with Crystal Red, like how superstitious Manasseh gets, right? He's trying to try out like everything to figure out what satisfies him. And you can almost picture him like this. It's just an easy illustration. So, so, so you know, think about a drug dealer who like can't find their drug. You know what I'm saying? Like, like how sad would that be? Like uh, we were, I was talking to somebody the other day and I, I blatantly said it this way. I was like, man, I can't believe you've never smoked weed. Now, I didn't mean that to be like a, a, a negative thing. I was just genuinely surprised by their old lifestyle. We know each other very well. He, he's in a good lifestyle now. But it, it just surprised me. I'm like, man. He goes, well, I guess I shouldn't say I never smoked weed. I never got high off weed. I was like, what? He goes, yeah, man, I got so disappointed. I started buying like the harder stuff so that I could figure out what getting high felt like. And I'm sitting there picturing like this is what Manasseh's doing. He's like, I'm going to build an image. Ah, that didn't really satisfy me. I, I'm going to go to the witchcraft. Ah, that doesn't satisfy me. I, I'm going to call the 1 800 uh, tarot card meeting guy. And, ah, that doesn't satisfy me. You know, he's trying all this stuff. Oh, I'm, I'm going to get that, that goddess of, of prostitution back in into worship. Cause that, 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 uh, you know how bad you got to be in a place where sex don't make you feel good and get satisfied? You know what I'm saying? Oh, that's a rough spot. Am I the only one? Or everybody just jaw dropped that I said that? 
I'm going to tell you, I'm just going to be like it is, right? We can't be honest like something's wrong. Like when you get to a stage where that is not satisfying, man, <laughs> come to the altar, right? I'll be down there with you at the end, I promise, right? What, what I'm picturing, though, seriously, is this. This is like new age spirituality. I'm being serious. Tie it back into current time. You, you notice it? Everybody accepts everything. We, we got this, 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 oh, yeah, we just worship that and we worship this. And, and when you come in, you just pick which one you want to worship and we'll all worship to the, together, but we'll all worship different gods. What? Well, even from a law standpoint, what kind of war? I would rather, this is, this is bad, but serious. I would rather you be dedicated to one wrong God than just say we're going to worship all of them. You know what I'm saying? At least there's some dedication. Right? I mean, how, how are you just going to accept everything and anything? That's, I, I don't know. That's just crazy. Right? And, and then he, here's what really hit me kind of sad right before verse 10 or 9 and 10 right here. How superficial must the revival of chapters 18, 19, and 20 have been with Hezekiah's reforms? Ben, for these people to easily and willingly be seduced so easily now. And if I can just be blunt, here's what it really makes me think of. You ever seen that person who like comes down at the end of service on Sunday, you know, that old fashioned kind of altar call kind of thing. And man, they just excited and they bouncing and they moving and they dancing and they shaking and, and, and they go back to their seat. And they still can't sit still. And then something happens when we open the door. I'm yet to figure out how it happens because I thought the spirit wasn't contained by the door. But something happens when the door opens and they just go back to normal. You ever seen or experienced something like that? And then you see them on Tuesday and you're like, hey, man, congratulations by the spirit getting you on Sunday. And they're like, oh, yeah. And there's like that awkward moment. And then you see them on like Friday or Saturday a month later. And the bad part is you see... You see them doing something where that means you were there. So that's wrong. Just point that out. But somehow, somehow that happened, right? And you're like, hey, man, how about a spiritual fire you had? I don't know. I drowned it with something else. Right? I, I'm just curious. I'm not trying to be too judgmental. I'm holding them accountable, but I'm not trying to be too, too judgmental on the, on the people during Hezekiah's reign. But I got to wonder, like, how, how superficial, how fake was it? I've been in church services like the same person comes forward every Sunday. You know what I'm saying? Like they, they would be the wettest person in the church if you did baptism every week. You know what I'm saying? Because they, they just, they just dive in and swim around. And, and then had a guy tell me one time, man, you, you talk about the river. So man, you'd be baptized until you know every tadpole's name. And you and all the tadpoles can go to hell together. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's just being honest, right? Like if, if it ain't no heart condition and it's not something that's lasting, it's not real. And maybe that's the determining factor when we always talk about this once saved, always saved, can't argue, which is a dumb argument. Why would you want to argue if you can lose your salvation? You, do you understand what I'm saying? Like sometimes I, I think like we're trying to like argue over it and I'm like, are you trying to lose? That's what I want to ask the next time somebody wants to debate that. I'm like, I don't know. Are you trying to lose yours? I don't know. Well, then why are we arguing over it? I, I think we all, it, it, it talks about in the New Testament constantly growing Right. So when it's real, it's constantly growing. Right. And, and, and that's where it's at. These sinful people, they just turn back to these own evil plans, man. And it even says, I love verse 10. Uh, Yahweh spoke by his servants, the prophets. like God. 
He may have been, it may have been some roadblocks up with the leadership, maybe a roadblocks up with the people, but God still had Hosea and Joel and Naaman and Habakkuk and Isaiah. He still had his prophets that he was speaking to, and I promise you they were still preaching because that's the reason they get killed. Right? So I know God, you can't say, oh, well, you know, God just quit talking to him. No. That's why I'm not completely convinced those 400 years between Malachi and Matthew, there shouldn't have been some books written. I'm not saying we should add to scripture. I'm just saying I think God was speaking and a lot of times people weren't listening. I think he would have broke the period of silence a lot quicker. He's, then he says this. <laughs> Man, the measuring line I'm going to use is Samaria. I'm going to, I'm, you want to imitate the northern kingdom? Well, I'm going to imitate the northern kingdom's judgment. Y- y'all ever got in trouble with a friend? And that, that friend either got the tail tore up or they lost something, or they entire, you know, whatever it ended up being. And then, then, then they looked at you and they're like, you gonna get the same thing. You're like, oh man. Right, you did the same thing, you're gonna get the same. That's where they're at. God is looking at them and says, you guys didn't learn from the spanking I just had to hand over to, to the, to the northern kingdom. You're gonna get the same thing. And he takes off his belt. Right? So much so to what, what does he say? Listen to his words. God would cleanse Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. Wow. The progression of this sin. First, idolatry is tolerated among God's people. This is a good little, if if you're a short note taker, this is like a good chain. I say progression. Maybe I should say regression, right? Idolatry gets tolerated among God's people. That's the first step. Then idolatry gets promoted. Remember, he built some Asher poles, then he put them in the temple. Idolatry is supported and funded. Then the worship of the true God gets undermined. Then the worshipers of the true God get persecuted and murdered. Then the judgment of God comes. That's a quick downward spiral of events. And then we get this next thing he influenced. I thought it was cool last week when we said like Hezekiah kind of influenced God's mercy grace. You know, almost like you could say kind of made God contemplate like his his mind and what's going on. It never changes character or nothing like that. Right? But he, here's what here's what his son influenced. You could say that Manasseh influenced the wrath of God. That's a pretty sucky point to have made about you, but it's true. He influenced the wrath of God, right? Verse 6, he did evil in the sight of Yahweh, provoking him to anger. He was pushing the button, and he wouldn't stop, and he wouldn't stop, and he wouldn't stop, right? And then the writer brings clarity to that statement in 11 and 12, 11 and 12. Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, having done wickedly more than all the Amorites, who were before him. Man, how evil, right? Who also made Judah sin with his own idols. Talking about that influence of others. Therefore, thus says Yahweh, God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such calamity on Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears of it, both his ears were tingle. Do you understand the wording God is using? Because that's awesome. He's saying, I'm going to make it so bad just talking about it is going to make your ears burn. You ever heard something like that? It just it just made your ears tingle. It was so bad. It sounded so rough, right? That that's what God is saying. He goes, I I'm gonna make your ears burn. It's gonna be so bad. Of course, he's talking about Babylon, which we were introduced to last week through another story, right? Then it goes further. Check out uh, Chronicles 33. Second Chronicles, by the way, where my piece of paper was supposed to be. Put it back because we're gonna go back and forth, right? Here's what it says. Verses 10 and 11. Yahweh spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they didn't listen. 
reiterated that part. So he brought against them military commanders of the king of Assyria. They captured Manasseh with hooks. They bound him with bronze shackles. And they took him to Babylon. Wow. Do, do, you, do you get a picture of what's going on here? God led and allowed the Assyrians to capture him. Like sometimes you're going to be so far removed from your walk with the Lord that he's going to let your enemy get you. But for a purpose. Because understand, if we just had kings without chronicles, Manasseh would be the saddest character in Scripture. But but, but listen to this. By the way, the, the NIV, if any of you have that, I, I like how it puts that word hook. It actually says the hook was in the nose. You just get a good picture. You know what I'm saying? Like this guy was a king, now he's being led around like cattle. Which is literally probably what would have happened. That one, one of the few times NIV was probably pretty spot on, right? So you picture this. Now, now the journey from where they're at to Assyria is hundreds of miles. That's a long way to walk with a hook in your nose. Right? That's a long way to walk with shackles bound to you. That's a really long way to walk. I don't know if you'll ever think about this part. That's a really long way to walk when you a spoiled little king and you probably ain't never done nothing in your life physical. Picture this now. You got to picture the type of king he was. He wasn't like a David. He wasn't out there leading and running around and being active and all slim and trim and, and whatnot. This guy was evil. It's safe to say he was probably pretty lazy. He probably had servants bring everything. He probably had servants do everything. He probably got toted or rode something everywhere he went. And here is God saying, oh, now you're about to walk hundreds of miles with a shackle up your nose. Right? You're going to have a long time to think about what you did. This is his time out. You know, you know why I hate time out? I hate thinking about all I did. You know what I'm saying? Like I hate that my brain just, just won't stop and it just goes. And goes and goes. Sometimes I really wonder if just getting beat wasn't better. You know what I'm saying? Just being honest, right? When you lose something, when you get those speeches, man. Like when I'd have got a speech, like, like, like when God does these speeches, I picture my parents when they would do that speech. You know, we're so disappointed in you. Man, just slap me or something. You know what I'm saying? Let's just get it over with. I'd rather have that. I sat over in a couple minutes. The tingling's gone. Now I got these burning ears for the rest of the week, right? That's where they're at though. Now, now here's what you also got to picture. Not only is he the leader, it's one thing when you're the leader getting towed away, but now at this point, they've got everybody. So he's walking hundreds of miles with a shackle up his nose and shackles to his feet and hands and everything, and he's watching all the others be carried away. And he has to know at this point, this is because of what I influenced. I guess you could say it this way, fortunately or unfortunately. Sometimes seeing what we've done to others is what it takes for us to need to change. Now, again, I don't know if that's fortunate or unfortunate because it's, it's a blessing because at least change comes. But man, how sad is it that we've got to break somebody else, hurt somebody else, destroy somebody else, ridicule somebody else, cause somebody else pain to know that we got to change. Right. But, but here's what happens on that long walk. I love it. I love it because this this is the picture of the whole gospel, man. He's making this walk. He's thinking for hundreds of miles. He's looking at his people and how he's led everybody down this wrong path. And who knows what other other list and other things he's got going on. But verse 12, it says, when he was in distress, he sought the favor of Yahweh, his God. And I I love how the writer of Chronicles is, is honest in its wording. 
and he earnestly humbled himself before the God of his ancestors. Wow. In his moment of captivity by his enemy, in his moment of distress, it's something God uses for him to be able to be humbled and then to find God. Right? So, so, so why I'm right here, because you can see where this is about to go, really. Second Chronicles 33, along with Second Kings 21, gets a full understanding of God's work. You could almost say, and I know God's ideas for the whole Bible to put together, so it's not the way. But, but Second Kings would have left him as a lost soul. So, so I had to jot down in my notes for me personally as far as applying, right? This is a reminder. If I'm going to look at somebody's life, i got to look at all of it. I can't just look at parts of it. Right. If, I, if I'm going to talk about somebody, study with somebody, know, you know, what I'm saying like I, I don't get to just, oh, you know what? You were a piece of work for 40 years of your life. Now, I got to look at the end and I also need to look at the beginning and, and I need to look at the whole thing because this is God's complete word. Right. Like you, you don't get to just pick and choose parts of it. Right. Like if we didn't like Manasseh, we would just take Chronicles 33 out. And we would just have Second Kings 21 and we would think he's a loser. Right. But, but we got 33 and then we got 13. So in case you're wondering, was it enough? In case you're wondering, man, you know, some of you are probably thinking like, I'm not as bad as Manasseh, so if he can humble himself, right? Maybe that's your whole point today. Thank God, right? Because 13, it says he prayed to him and Yahweh was receptive to his prayer. He granted his request and he brought him back to Jerusalem to his kingdom. So Manasseh came to know Yahweh is God. Hold on, I got to read it again. Y'all must have didn't get it because like there was like one amen and this was like the touchdown that just won the Super Bowl. And if you don't amen more, I'm just walking out the door and leaving like straight up. Right? Now, don't dare me. I will. I, it won't bother me at all. We got no kids. We're going home to have fried chicken and sit on the couch. Right? He prayed to him and Yahweh was receptive. It's good when God hears your prayer. He granted his request and he brought him back to Jerusalem. It's another thing when God hears and grants your request. Right? He brings him back to his kingdom. Why? So that he may come to know that Yahweh is God. Guys, he come back to the kingdom and he ruled in the right way. Now, I understand kings don't write about it because evidently it was a real short amount of time. But you ought to be grateful for a good ending despite a bad beginning. Especially when you actually had a good beginning, screwed it all up, and then had the good ending. Right? Like it would be safe to say, God should have looked at him and said, you did all this, you knucklehead. Like I had you bathe and, 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 and promise I had you ready to roll. And, and then this is what you did, right? But James said God loves one that swallows his pride and becomes humble. That's James chapter 4 somewhere. Chapter, uh, verse 6, I think. Right? It's quoting something from the Old Testament where it says God gives great, God gives grace to the, to the humble and those that get rid of their pride. Right? And that's where he's at. So, so then it says God restores them back to his spot. Now what I love, you ought to have both. I don't know if both's on the screen. 2 Kings 21, 17. I think this is just cool. This is the same number on both. I know you're thinking, we put the numbers. Yeah, but I think God has sovereignty over everything, including the numbers. Right? The rest of the events of Manasseh's reign, along with all his... What's that word? Huh. Huh. Imagine that. What was it? The rest of the events of Manasseh's reign, along with all his accomplishments. This guy did something good afterwards. What did he do? 33.17. Second Chronicles. However, the people... Oh, hold on. I might have did the wrong one. 
He removed, oh, here we go. Well, we'll start back at 15. He removed the foreign gods and the idol from the, from the Lord's temple. He's getting rid of all of them, man. He's actually doing repentance. Right? Going to work, baby. I made a lot of mistakes, and I'm going to make as many of them right as I can. You might not get to make them all right, but you're going to fix as many of them as you can. So he's going to town. He's cleaning them out. He's getting rid of this. He's, he's offering fellowship and thank offering. He told Judah, hey, you guys are to serve the Lord. He's influencing others the right way. Right? The God of Israel is ready. However, that is kind of a, a good bad. The people, they, they worship God, but, but they still went to the high places. Now, when you corrupt worship, it's hard to get back to that stage of pure worship. Does that, that phrase make sense for everybody? That's what happened. Pure worship got corrupted. And the people, even though I believe at this stage, they and, I, and I'll prove it in a minute, I believe they wanted to do the right thing. They still had a lot of corruption going on. They had to clean out. Maybe that's kind of where we're at as a nation sometimes. Right? Like, like we still got some cleaning up that we got to do. God is merciful. There's hope for the worst of sinners who repent. Now, I got to pause for a minute. Look right here. Paul writes in Acts 26, 20. Talking about repentance. He says that you should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. What's Paul saying? Oh, read it, because we don't like it as, as a little Baptist church sometimes, right? I got saving faith. All I had to do is say the prayer. No, it ain't all you had to do, moron. Read the scriptures. Right? I'm being, I mean, I'm just telling you, that, that gets me, man. I can't stand people to preach that way. Right? Because you, you ain't going to sugar, that's, that's doing what Manasseh did. You sugarcoat and you messing up what God said. That ain't what God said. God said what? That they should repent, turn to God, by what? Performing deeds appropriate to repentance. What does it mean you got to do? You got to do something, baby. Right? It, it, it ain't no just this, oh, I don't have nothing to do ever. I said, no, you got to do something. If that's all Manasseh had to do, God would have put him on his throne. He'd never had to do nothing else. But Manasseh got back up off his throne after God put him there and he went to clean out the temples. And he went to remove down Asher poles. And he told the witchcraft and the spiritists and the medians and the tarot card readers, you guys got to go. Right? He did something along with it. Now, some of you think, but I, I thought it was just saving faith and, and that was it, right? Okay, well, you got saving faith and you got acts of repentance and it's a coin and you just flip that coin up in there and tell me which side is which, why it's flipping. You can't tell the difference, right? And if that wasn't enough, look at Acts 26, 18. Right before Paul says this, Paul is expressing Christ's words. He's saying, hey, this is what he told me on the road to Damascus, right? That I'm going to send you, Paul, to the Gentiles to do what? To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God, in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who have been sanctified. How you get sanctified? By faith in me. Turning from darkness, sin, to light, holiness, from Satan's power to God. Is repentance, right? That's receiving the forgiveness of sins. But you can't truly believe Christ without turning away from sin. That'd be like saying, I'm going north while headed south. You can't do it. They're at opposite ends of the spectrum. Like if you're going to one, you've got to be going away from another, right? Repentance begins with this. God, God be merciful to me, I'm a sinner. I said it at the beginning with, with the songs. I don't even know if y'all knew how well you lined that up, right? Like the, the first song, like I, I'm going to stumble, I'm going to lose some battles. God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I'm going to lose some battles. Thank God I don't lose the war, right? But it continues in the deeds of what did Paul call them? Appropriate to repentance. It's the second song. 
God, I'm going to give you my life. God, I'm a sinner. I lost some battles. I messed up. But I ain't got to lose the war because I'm giving you my life. And you got complete reign over my life. Manasseh removed the foreign gods, the idols, the altars, and he set up an altar for the Lord and he began serving him. Let me let me just finish. Oh, I did read it in 15 and 16. I'm sorry, right? In other words, you could say it this way for no days. Repentance is not just talk. It ain't just talk. It is a faith that God uh, that results in a change in direction. We say on Wednesday night, a change in mind that leads to a change in direction. A heart change that produces an action change. Right? Like if you don't have it all going on, like something's wrong. And, and that's good. And that's awesome. And I wish we could stop there. But we got five minutes. So here's the hard truth. Here's the hard truth. But it is truth. Chronicles describes Manasseh's undoing everything he had the ability to undo. You understand that, believer? Stumbler? I'm being, I'm being desperate. Like, like, if you stumble and you fall, you undo all you can undo. Like, that, that's all you're required for. That's all expected of you. Don't you beat yourself up that you can't change something you can't change. He went through and he did everything he could. Now, the reality is this. Sin has consequences. So there's some things he couldn't undo. The first one that came to mind, I wasn't even thinking about where this chapter ends. First of all, I was like, he can't bring back the people he killed. Right? That's kind of obvious. They're gone. Now, he would have to live with that and think about that every day of his life. And I can't imagine how horrible that would be, right? But another thing he can't undo, so you, so you can't, since there has consequences and things you can't undo, he's got this son that the end of this chapter goes with, 20, 19 uh, through 22, Amen. Or Ramon, however you want to say it, right? So here's his last influence, unfortunately. He influenced the walk of his son. Now, we don't get but like two sentences about this guy. He reigns for two years. The writer of Kings don't like him. Don't nobody really like him because nobody writes about him. And nobody's really happy with him, right? But the one thing it says in these few verses, few sentences about him, was he was influenced by his father. Verse 20, he did evil in the sight of Yahweh as his father had done. Verse 21, he walked in all the way that his father had walked. In verse 22, here's the result. So he forsook Yahweh. The God of his father. Now, I do love that part, though. Don't miss that. Now, Yahweh is who? The God of Manasseh. Right? The daddy of Abba of Manasseh. Right? But he did not walk in the way of Yahweh. Amen sinned as Manasseh sinned, but he didn't have the repentance that Manasseh repented. That's, that's what goes on, right? Probably one, I would say probably one of the greatest sorrows Manasseh would have as he thought about all these sins and all these consequences was that there were sons and others probably in the kingdom who were influenced by his sin that didn't repent. And that was something he couldn't do nothing about. It's like it wasn't on him, but it was on him because of the past him, right? Just because you finally turn doesn't mean everybody you've been leading is going to turn with you. And that's scary, right? That's scary because here we kind of got an example of the way you we got a good example both ways of that proverb. The way you lead up a child, he will return. Because because Manasseh returned the way Hezekiah started him, but Hezekiah just got a couple years with him and that was it. Right. Like he planted some seeds, hopefully. But but we also got Amon who. Goes the same way Manasseh had been training him up for all those years. So that ending later in life didn't it didn't do it. It was a little a little too late, you could say. I don't want my influence to be a little too late. You know what I'm saying? Like I told you guys before, I, I think it, and, and man, I think so much about some of these guys in the book of Kings and, and I love 
that my mom and my dad's biggest turnaround in their life was when I was right around 12 years old. Because, I mean, that's that's like age. You're starting to make like some real decisions and, and starting to like understand stuff. And, and when you can get a lesson like that in life at that age, like I'm shaped. You know what I'm saying? Not perfect. I got, I got tons of stuff, too, that went wrong. And, and I had to go and repent of and all that kind of stuff for many years. Right. Still do all the time. But. But I, th- I thank God he didn't wait. That was like 38. Mainly because I wouldn't be preaching here with you right now. Right. I might be doing some other stuff with you. Right. But, I mean, think about that. Though. I, I'm glad that I, I had those years of, of watching a mom who would set the example on on how, on how to treat a, a spouse that may not have been doing the right thing at the time. Right. Because I'm like, man, that, that sets the tone for how I want my marriage to be. That's why we could celebrate 15 years this week together no, or 18 years together, but 15 years married. Like we could have a good time celebrating it, right? Because we ain't had no kids this week. Thank God, right? So you, I'm just kidding. I love those little burgers, right? Sometimes I would just flick them off my <laughs> Look at what it says, though. Here's cool. Oh, this part's bad. Sorry. Forgot one verse. This part's bad. Next part's cool. 33-23. Talking about, talking about uh, Amon. And he did not humble himself before the Lord as his father Manasseh had humbled himself, but he continued to trespass more and more. Kind of just putting a, a confirmation in both books on that, right? But here's what 23 said. And the servants of Ammon conspired against him, and they killed the king in his own house. First thing I noticed when I read it, and I hope you guys have too since we've been going through kings, they start to act like the northern kingdom. All the conspiracies and, and assassinations. You remember that, right? You remember what happened after those conspiracies and assassinations in the northern kingdom? Somebody else just come in to become king. There wasn't no bloodline that God had promised. That's the, that, I hope you guys understood. Like that was, that was a big hiccup. Right? Like God said, this is the bloodline I want to rule and to stay. This is the lineage. This is my promise to David. But that northern kingdom, they allowed assassinations and conspiracies and all that stuff to get involved. So then just so-and-so could become king. From who knows what bloodline, right? Check it out. Check it out. They begin to imitate the kings of the northern kingdom, so they get treated like the kings of the northern kingdom, right? God allows this assassination, this anarchy, in the last period of Israel's history to happen, right? But 24, you get a holy butt. We ain't had a holy butt in a long time in this book, right? I'm serious. 24 is a holy butt. Verse 24, but the people of the land, some of them got a little revival back, right? The people of the land executed all those who had conspired against King Amos. Now, for 57 years, they've been letting evil go on. They did nothing. Chilling, drinking margaritas, enjoying the sin. Right? But but here we get, two years into this, more evil kings reign, by the way. It just doesn't get a long reign. And somebody kills him, and you could think, oh, that'd be great. But a good thing isn't a godly thing. Right? It was good that Amon's dead. I ain't going to lie about it. Like the guy was going to be worse than Manasseh. Right? But it's not a godly thing. He died by the wrong people the wrong way. So these people say, you know what? We ain't going to have that going on. We ain't like the northern kingdom. We still got a little bit of spiritualness up in us. Right? We still a little holy. Right? So so what they do is they say this. We're going to execute them. So, so it says, I, I love Crystal's translation that she read and the, the one that's up there. Then the common people. I love it because what did it say earlier about the common people? God said, I spoke to the leaders and they wouldn't listen. And I spoke to the common people and they wouldn't listen. And he's mad at the common people. But here, 
Here, they done got a little bit of Jesus in them, right? You're thinking, Jesus ain't there yet. He there. You just don't know. Right? Like, they got a little bit in him, right? Then the common people, it wasn't even people that were supposed to do it. I'm thinking, man, if somebody going to avenge the king, like, it ought to be the military guy. It ought to be the sniper. It ought to be SEAL Team 6. Bring it on in, guys. We got to take care of business. Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's who it should be. But it says the common people came in and executed those who conspired against King Amen and made his son, Josiah, king in his place. Wow. It's awesome, guys. I don't know if you see it. Like what seems what seems to be happening is they want a little bit of righteousness. At least they want a little bit of, of justice. Right. They've been wrong for so long. You, you could almost say it this way. When I was writing my notes, I said they got exactly what they wanted for the period of time they wanted it. Remember what started the search for kings? I don't know how many months ago that's been for us, right? Somebody jump online, have to check it out. They went back. They said, we want a king like who? Like everybody else. You know, God said, I'm going to give you a king, but in due time. God wanted to be the king, right? Remember that, right? But what they say, oh, no, we can't wait, God. We want a king like everybody else. Well, you won't be like everybody else. You won't get what everybody else got. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to be like everybody else. I want to be like the elite. I want to be like, you know, those that God's got some plans and some purposes for. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I want to be above. Anybody want to be like the common folk, right? They said, if you want to act like that, that's what I'm going to give you. So for 50 years, they got what they wanted. Probably 55, 57 years total, right? They got what they deserved. They went back to the beginning. But now, now God looks down and he's like, oh, they battle on the same path. The northern king is on. But then these common people, they go and they avenge this king. They get justice. And God is thinking, man, if the kingdom of the people or the people of the kingdom are going to start turning toward godliness, then I'm going to make sure they get a better king. And we get an eight year old who I ain't even going to get to go into right now because we will be here for a week. Right. Verse 24, the end of it. Then the people of the land made the son Josiah king in his place. It was because of a righteous action of the people of the land that there was no change in dynasty. This is still the lineage of David that's going to get on the throne. Right. That's going to make Jesus come. All that good stuff. Right. I mean, literally, the only positive thing Amon did was give the people a test to pass. And he produced a kid like Josiah. Right. Here's your summary. You can choose your sin, but you can't choose your consequences. Authentic repentance leads to real life change. Thank God it's never too late. And no matter the depth of our depravity, God's grace and forgiveness is even deeper. What kind of influence you making? What kind of influence you going to make? Matthew chapter 5, I think it's on the screen, isn't it? Maybe, yeah, Matthew 5. Talking about influence. It says, you're the salt of the earth. But, that's an unholy but. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown and trampled on by the ground. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. But rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all those who are in the house in the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father in heaven. What kind of influence are you going to make? I think of this, this story. And I, I think here, here's what I, I was going to title it this instead of influence the old Testament prodigal son. Now he just took a really long detour. <laughs> Thank you. Prodigal son didn't go so long, right? This old Testament prodigal son. He had a great daddy, great upbringing. 55 years turned into evilness. But then he came home. 
And the song we're about to sing says, come just as you are. When you picture that prodigal son from the New Testament, you know he came just like he was. Because what did daddy say first? Or what did, oh, they got to get the order right. What did daddy do first? Somebody better know this story. Oh, I ran to him. You know what I'm saying? Like if you saw somebody you ain't seen, when she sees that boy, but she ain't seen I don't know how long, she gonna run right past that fiance and run to him, I promise you, right? She gonna hug him, she gonna squeeze him, and all that good stuff. That, that, that's the daddy running to the son. Now right before that, you gotta get a good picture. Right before that, what did the verse told us this prodigal son was doing? He was, he wasn't feeding pigs, he was wallowing with the pigs. It was in the pig trough, in the mud, in the muck, in the dirtiness, that he realized, I'm a moron. My servants at my daddy's house is eating better than I'm eating right now. It don't say he took no shower. It don't say he took no bath. It say he got up out of the pig trough and began his journey back to his daddy's house so that he could be treated like a servant. He wasn't even expecting to be treated like a servant. So he could be treated like a servant. And daddy runs out. Why? He's still dirty, mucky, nasty. Right? He didn't say, hey, let me get some water on you. He didn't say, let me wash you off. He squeezed him. And he hugged him. And he held on to it. You remember the next thing daddy does? He says, you stink. In his head, he said, you stink. <laughs> but what he actually did was what he did. He said, hey, go get my boy a robe and a ring to put on. My son has returned. You come to the Lord just like you are. You don't get cleaned up before because you can't clean yourself. You come muddy, mucky, nasty, and whatever. But all you got to do, I don't know how many steps he took. Because I love the story because that means daddy had to be sitting at the end of the driveway every day looking. You know what I'm saying? Like daddy never gave up. He's just sitting there. And he saw that one little dot. I picture, this is for me now. Y'all my family, so it's all right, right? I picture homeboy must have had a walk like I got. I got a distinct walk. Ain't no need to lie about it. That's why I'm a fast white boy. You know what I'm saying? Like I've been working calves every time. Everywhere I go, I work a calf. Right? I think he had a walk like that. Because it said that daddy knew it was him from a distance. So that means he saw like that little bounce or something. Whatever it was, right? He go, that's my boy! And he's gone. Now, I don't know who, you don't get to know this. I don't know who did more steps on the driveway, daddy or the son. But I like to think all son had to do was hit the edge of the driveway and daddy took off to the rest, right? You know what I'm saying? And I picture that with the Lord. Like if we would... If we would just get up with our dirty clothes and take the take the first step and make it to the driveway, God would sprint to grab you, to hold you, to then tell you. Because I do think it was probably an honest thing. Why he's hugging him, he probably said, gee, boy, you is nasty. You know what I'm saying? Like my daddy would tell me that way. You nasty, bro. What in the world? <laughs> Let's get you some clean clothes. But that's what God does. He tells you, you're dirty. You need a new outfit. Let's take it off. Let's put on the clean robes. Not only am I going to put on the robe, I, I'm going to go get your ring back too. I got another one in there for you. Right? He restored him. Just like Manasseh was restored to his throne. Don't leave out Chronicles when you're telling the story of Manasseh, man. It's vital. Right? Because it could be part of your story. You don't want nobody leaving out your end, do you? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning. God, I love you for this Old Testament example of that prodigal son, Lord God. God, I love you for the picture. 
that you paint in Scripture. God, I love you that your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness is so much deeper than my mistakes and my stumbles and my falls. God, I pray for everyone in this room that they realize it ain't too late. They got something they need to get right, Lord God. Today's the day to do it. Lord, if we got things to get right outside, I pray, Lord God, that we not wait. Today's the day we go out and get them right. We do all we can with what we got. And we leave everything else up to you. Lord, I thank you that you gave Hezekiah 15 more years. And in 15 years, Lord, sure, there was a, a rough sun that might have come about, Lord God. But I think part of your greatest... Your greatest plan and purpose, because you got the big picture, Lord, is, is to show us that grace and that mercy at the end of his life. That despite being so bad for so long, he humbled himself and you restored him. God, restore us. Thank you for those of us that have been restored, Lord God. Let us add to our testimony and share with the world. God, let's tell our thoughts. So the Lord God, your message and your glory get presented above everything. Great and holy.